Hi, this is Sandy Rios of Sandy Rios 24-7. Well, another great story for you today, this time a college professor uh, from New York who tells us a story about what it's like to deal with students now who are so into phones and social media. As a matter of fact, it's estimated that the average American now is spending seven hours and four minutes a day looking at a screen. And 98% of college students are using social media on a daily basis. That's not shocking to any of us, is it? Well, it's affecting how they learn, and that's what Dr. Nicholas Giordano is going to talk to us about. He is one of the best interviews I've done. I really enjoyed my time with him, so I hope you'll enjoy it. And by the way, if you listen to this interview or any interview or any podcast on any given day and you have a comment or a thought about it, all you have to do is call us at 662 821-2040 and ask a question or leave your comment. Or you can email us at sandy at afr.net. That's sandy at afr.net. Meanwhile, let me just take a moment to thank Preborn. You might be amazed to know that even with Roe being overturned, the number one killer among infants is still abortion. Abortion continues to take the lives of nearly one million babies a year just in this country alone. Preborn network clinics step into the darkness and shine a light into a mother's womb by introducing her to the precious life growing inside of her. Once she hears that heartbeat, her maternal instincts kick in, and the majority of the time she will choose life. This is God's plan. Since President Dan Steiner founded this life-saving ministry 16 years ago, over 200,000 babies have been saved. And in the last, what, since January 2023? This time that I'm speaking to you, uh, you all have done so much to save so many babies, and I'm so grateful. All you have to do is go to preborn.com slash Sandy if you would like to make a donation. It's only $28 for one ultrasound. It's preborn.com slash Sandy so that we can save more in the coming years and months. We just can't stop because uh, there are women who are seeking abortions every day and more and more as they're encouraged to do so, especially on college campuses. And so uh, we need to step up our efforts on providing ultrasound, which seems to be one of the tried and true ways of uh, get, helping them to choose their baby. Go to preborn.com slash Sandy. That's preborn.com slash Sandy. Now sit back and relax and enjoy this conversation with Dr. Nicholas Giordano. From American Family Radio, Sandy Rios. We are not called to be nice. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. I think the most important thing we need to demonstrate to our children is genuineness. That we actually believe what we say we believe. A longtime Fox News contributor, Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. Seek justice. Not social justice, but God's justice. What's right and what's wrong. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. We've got to say this is the line. Life is sacred. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up. Speak up. Say something. Do something. All right, Sandy Rios on Sandy Rios 24-7. It's still noisy because we're still at CPAC 2023. And now uh, one of the things that I, through the years, have covered a lot, maybe not so much in the last few years on radio because there have been so many, so many issues that I've tried to cover, but education is something that I care a great deal about and got in fights when my son was in school over some of the things that were happening then. Uh, I don't need to tell any of you listening that we have a problem with our education system. And I've asked 
Professor Nicholas Giordano to join me today. He's the professor of political science at Suffolk Community College in New York, uh, and he works with Campus Reform, which is, of course, doing some great work covering the news on college campuses. He's the higher education fellow there, and the host, he's the host of the PAS Report. I don't know what that is, Professor. What's the PAS Report? Politics, Analysis, and Strategies. Ah, okay, Poli politics, and that sounds complicated. Policies? I well, you have to hold the politicians accountable for all the disasters that they create. Oh, really? Do you have to do that? It's not working very well. I've tried to do that for years. So far, they don't take the blame for anything. No, no. they defer it. Yeah, you're right, but no. it's Okay, well, listen, thank you, and, and uh, we're glad you joined us. Thank you for having me. All right, so you teach political science. Um, so because so few people know anything about political science anymore, at least I don't think they do, what does that cover? Uh, world system, political systems all over the world, what else? Well, my two specialties are American government and international politics. And basically, I provide them an understanding of how the system actually works. But the problem is that I've noticed over the last decade is that students are coming in with no knowledge. So I give my students a citizenship exam the first day of classes. No kidding. And then I give them the Russian Constitution. I replace Russian Federation with United States everywhere. And unfortunately, most of them will fail the citizenship exam, and most of them will not be able to identify that they're not reading the United States Constitution. So the question is, well, what are they learning in a K through 12 system? Hold on, hold on. Remember that question. When you tell them what they just did, does it bother them? Yes. Well, some of them feel shamed, as they should, and I do tell them I believe in shaming because it's the hook to get them more interested in the topic. And the point of it is they all have opinions on all these issues, right? Everything operates through emotion today, but you don't even know how the system works. So how can you say that government should or shouldn't do anything if you don't even know why the government exists in the first place? And it really does open their eyes. You know, I find my student body is actually more open-minded than most of the adults out there. Really? No kidding? Yes. Now, that surprises me. Because you think of the kids as being kind of branded or molded or swayed or woked to death before they get to you. Well, that, that's what our concern going forward, right? So we have now infected K-12 through systems, all this diversity, equity, and inclusion. We see it on the college level. And so it went from indoctrination on college campuses to now brainwashing an entire group of people for generations to come and pushing a political agenda. Yeah, so there'll like be a new wave with a different, probably different problem. Because because like the students you have now then weren't so soaked and dripped and seeped into that wokeness at least yet. The biggest problem that we were facing was writing abilities, dropping off the wall, students wouldn't read, socially they were having difficulties interacting with others. And we've been seeing that even pre-COVID. We started seeing noticing that change. Now all the woke stuff is in, and it's like the perfect storm, right? I mean, if you want to destroy an entire generation, lock them in their homes for two years, make them go online for remote learning, and then when they come out of it, make it a degree requirement, because most colleges across the country are now making diversity, equity, inclusion, social justice part of their degree requirements for every major. And that's why we expose this at Campus Reform, because this is a toxic poison. What the diversity, equity, inclusion does it breaks everyone down into groups. Identity is what gets held above everything else, but then they pit the groups against each other, and eventually we turn into a tribal society. 
So we have two problems. So it does the opposite of what they claim. Of course, that's what Correct. the left always does. The opposite of what they say. Projection. Right. Yeah. Project. They, instead of creating a unity, or a, they, they divide and make us angry at each other. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what communists do. So. And here's the, the communist thing. method of. So when I do the citizenship exam and the Russian Constitution exercise, they don't know anything about American government, and because they don't know anything about American government. Well, now it's easy to change the system. Now it's easy to pollute their minds with this diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah. And that's the problem. It's, it's this full frontal assault on our children and our young adults. Let's go back to, there's so many things, obviously. But let's go back to the first premise. You say that you give them, they can't pass the citizenship test, and they don't know the Russian Constitution from the American. They, don't, they can't distinguish. They have no idea. So how do you go about correcting that? I mean, that's huge. When I was a kid, you could not graduate from the eighth grade unless you learned all the Constitution in its entirety. You, it didn't matter how you did in English or math or anything else. If you could not pass the Constitution test, you could not graduate from the eighth grade. Yep. Uh, my, how things have changed. But, I mean, so how in the world did you, how do you address that? How do you turn that around, that part? I have to start from the beginning. I have to go back to basics. Why was the United States created? Why did the founding fathers create it the way it was? Go through the Articles of Confederation, it's collapsed, teach them about federalism. Many of them, and adults too, they don't know the difference uh, what federalism is and that we have the federal government and the state government and some responsibilities belong to the feds, others belong to the state. As a matter of fact, if you look at today, almost every issue is federalized because people don't understand this concept of federalism. and. The coronavirus really shined the light. So prior to the coronavirus, there were things I never thought the government would do. But then they did them. The lockdowns, the mass mandates, deciding when, where, and how you could practice your faith, who you can have in your homes, what you must wear, where you can when stand. kids go to school. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was insane. Yeah. And everyone accepted it. And I, I sat there and I really struggled with this in my classes because I asked them, you know, 16 to 29 year olds, you're supposed to rebel against the system. You're supposed to be the ones that don't listen to authority, and yet you all were overly compliant. Even though it was impacting you the most, you didn't get to live your major mile, life milestones, and it impacted you. Why didn't you speak up? Because the government told us. And I'm like, well, when one person, a governor of a state, is making all these decisions, do you really live in a free society? And when you pose it to them in that way, they start to think. I'm curious, when you start teaching the history, oh my gosh, I don't know how you do that one course. Uh, the hard. history of the United States, the Constitution, the founding, the founding fathers, the documents. But do you see, on a regular basis, do you see the light go on? And do you get a strong response, or do they, do they tune you out? No, I, I think the light does go on for many students. And it doesn't mean, I always tell them, it's not my job. To, for them to believe the way I do on issues. It's not my job to get them to have the positions I have. It's my job to teach them why the government exists and how it actually works. When it comes to the issues, you're, you debate that amongst yourselves. I'll be the facilitator and I'm gonna push you to think critically. I don't care what side you're coming from. My job is to push you. And that's the way education, what it's supposed to be about. Instead, we have a bunch of ideologues teaching now that are forcing their opinions on their students and that's where we see the problem. So the students do want to engage. Out of 17 years of teaching, 
Never once did I have one student insult another student. Never once was there name calling in my classes. And we're debating illegal immigration, national debt, war and peace. These are controversial abortion. And they're always respectful. See, I, I think that we don't give the younger generation well, that's enough encouraging. credit. But they are very open-minded. And I would say that the breakdown of the classes, it's probably 40% liberal, 40% Republican and conservative, and 20%. They don't care either which way. They got their heads buried in the sand, but they're the happiest ones out of everyone. I will say that. <laughs> you know, they tune out all the noise. But they really are mature and we need to treat them like that unfortunately they look at them as pawns you know the ones that are driving this push look at them as pawns to to satisfy a political agenda and that that's where i'm worried um i'm sorry i am i'm just landing on that place where you're seeing the kids respond and listen and they're respectful i love that because we we worry (laughs) those of us that don't have kids that age or not anymore and we read what campus reform is writing and what everyone's reporting and we really think that we've just that it's almost gone it's it's good to to hear that there you see some glimmer of hope i want to talk about something else and i'm going to read from your words okay because this is a different issue you say when i started teaching in 2006 i would walk into the class and have to quiet the students down to take attendance as they were busy making friends and building relationships. Okay, I'm going to stop there and let you... What, so, uh, but today, what happens? There's been a transformation. So take a 8 o'clock in the morning class, 35 to 50 students in the class. I walk in, it's pitch black because nobody thinks to turn on a light switch, but I see the glows of their phones on their faces and it's dead silent. And everyone is looking at their phones. And I'll turn on the lights and be like... They don't don't even notice the lights on. You're allowed to touch a light switch. Like, you have permission to do that. You don't have to sit in the dark with the glows of your phone. But it's something that we have noticed that, you know, starting in 2013 and then really going forward, the interaction amongst the student body is almost minimal now. And, And let's face it, college, yes, it's about an education. It's about earning a piece of paper to get a career. But it's about building a network. It's about interacting with others, and you're going to take that so you can be able to interact in a workplace with coworkers. The interaction's not happening anymore because they're all isolated on their little electronic bubbles, and you see the destruction it causes. So you you look at that technology and how it's changed our society. Getting them to read is difficult. Getting them to write papers. If you can't read, you can't write papers. Right? Reading teaches us grammar, sentence structure, fluids, uh, if it's fluid. And the problem is that we're seeing this rapid deterioration. And then COVID happens. They kick kids out of school for anywhere from a year to two years. And everything just collapses, right? The, the basic proficiency levels are at historic lows. You have 30% drop in ACT scores, SAT scores. You have the, the whole idea of dropping the standards coming into play and just cycling students through. 12th grade textbooks are written at a 7th grade reading level. Well, that doesn't make any sense. But it was exposed, right? Parents saw what their children were learning. And so they became aware and started speaking out. Unfortunately, the social isolation, it's taken its toll on the student body. We're seeing a mental health crisis amongst the students like never before. And it's all because of the officials in charge and what they did over the last three years, and not a single one of them has been held accountable. 
you know, I'm sorry, I'm a Christian, so I can't help but make an observation. One of the things that uh, during COVID that I used to say was God created us for relationship. And he said when he created Adam, it's not good that man should be alone. Uh, and he, God didn't want to be alone. He created Adam and Eve to be his companions. They're, we are created for relationship, husband and wife and friends. And it is the opposite of God's design to isolate us. When we, in our culture, let's just say, if we want to punish a prisoner, we put them in solitary confinement. If we want to punish a child, we give them time out in their room. It's a punishment. So suddenly, everyone's isolated. And no wonder it creates mental illness. We are not really created to be all by ourselves. It makes us crazy. It does. But, um, all right, so just a simple question. So can you not say in your classroom, put your phones down? Oh, no, I could say whatever I want in my classroom. You can't. That, that's well, the beauty. My school still appreciates academic freedom okay. and, and <laughs> still appreciates. So I tell my students, it's my job to shame them, to make them embarrassed of what they don't know, and it's also my goal to embarrass and offend each and every one of them at least once in the semester <laughs> because there are no safe spaces in real life, and you're not going to have a safe space in my class. And I go really hard with the technology and the phones because as a professor, I shouldn't have to compete with cell phones. No. And I think it's extraordinarily disrespectful. So one of the things I tell them, in my class is a lot of dialogue going back and forth. <laughs> if you're a student and you're telling me how you feel about a position you really care about, and as you're talking, I pull out my cell phone and just start texting someone, <laughs> how are you going to feel about that? And they're going to say, well, that's pretty insulting. Good. So don't do it to me and don't do it to your peers. But the reality is they should have gotten that lesson already. They should have been taught that already. It shouldn't even be a thing in their mind. Unfortunately, they haven't. And so that's why they're glued to these devices, and it really is toxic in our culture. Are there then, look, in grades, my understanding is that in grade schools and high schools, everything is on the computer. Every kid has a computer, and there are no more textbooks. Is that right, and is that true in college also? It depends, and it really depends on the class. As far as college goes, it's mostly going to depend on the professor and what the requirements of their class are. Um, It is cheaper to do online books than it is to buy a $130 textbook, so there are professors that do the electronic book. For K-12, through I think it's, it's actually more nefarious because you have a lot of these tech companies giving the schools the technology for free, and it's because... They know they got a customer for life, right? We don't often change brands once we get used to something. And and so it's a little more nefarious. And unfortunately, teachers, many of them, are no longer experts in their craft. They rely on textbook companies to provide the latest technology to help them in the classroom. Um, And and it's bad. I I say there's way too much technology in the classroom. I, I don't think... People learn better when they actually held the book in their hands yes. and read the words, yeah. not perusing a screen. Well, so then do you, okay, <laughs> do you try to get your kids to do that? Do you try to get them to actually read books, like history books or, by, uh, you know, stories of the founders or? Well, again, so well, yeah, what do you do? I, I don't like any of the textbooks because a lot of them have an agenda built inside them. Yeah. So what I make my students do is actually read primary source yeah, material. Yeah, great. That's, that's kind of what I was asking. And, and I tell my students, you know, yeah. You don't need someone's interpretation of the Constitution. You could read it yourself and formulate your own arguments and conclusions. You don't need someone's interpretation of the Declaration. So what I make them do is read the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, Federalist Papers, the Anti-Federalist Papers, because people tend to dismiss those, but those are very important, and then the letters of the Founding Fathers, because you really see the intent Mm -hmm. 
when it comes to the private letters that they were sending on some really controversial issues. And even when we talk about things, they're, they're shocked to know that there were debates about slavery at the Constitutional Convention, that you had Governor Morris giving a speech, The Sins of Slavery. They thought every single founding father was a slaveholder. None of them know who people like Filippo Mazzi was, you know, someone that was actually really important. An Italian merchant had a huge influence on the Declaration of Independence when he befriended Thomas Jefferson. And my students were never told, an Italian guy, really? And so when they learn these things, their eyes open up to say, you know, things are much more complicated than I've been told all this time because everything's been oversimplified. They're all slave owners, they're racist. No, it's complex. Our history is complex. And we need to teach the totality of America, both the good and the bad. I have a very deep story to tell you. I was in a nail salon several years ago. <laughs> it's not deep. <laughs> uh, but uh, I was, you know, you've probably never been in one, but you have a place where you dry your nails. Oh, and I've so you're kind there. of sitting close to people. So there were college, some college girls surrounding me. I was there by myself and didn't know anyone. So they're surrounding me and they're chattering away and they're talking about. I think the Vietnam War, the protests, and all of that, and I'm listening. They're from American University, and I'm listening, and I'm listening. And I said, you guys, I, I'm sorry to interrupt that. I can't help but hear what you're saying because you're right there next to me. I'm just curious, did any of your professors at American University ever say anything positive about the United States? And they got very quiet, and they said, no. No, no, they don't. They just kind of like, they're thinking about that question. And I said, doesn't that tell you something? You really think there's nothing they could ever say that's good about the United States? Doesn't that tell you that there's something unbalanced that you can't trust? And it was a great conversation. And I but, think that was the perfect question you asked. I think that that is one of the most essential questions that people ask. Not a single positive thing has really been taught about country what other country would do that you know our, our country is more difficult than every other country because we don't have 2,000 years of recorded history we don't have a shared culture and shared traditions we're all these different people from all these different places e pluribus unum from many united warm. by our history and our constitution and, and so yeah the education system is supposed right. to link us together but right. it's dividing us now all right in closing you say there are solutions, so I'm all ears. What are the solutions, Professor? Well, I think we're seeing it at the K-12 through levels. You have parents actually involved. It used to be if you got five parents at a school board meeting, that would be a lot. Now they're packed, right? So parents are involved, which is really important. You have parents running for school boards. At the college level, and I explained this in the Campus Reform article, we now are seeing enrollment declines at colleges and universities throughout the country with the exception of the Ivy League universities, some state universities, and conservative colleges. Those enrollment declines are a catalyst to really put pressure on these colleges. Why are we seeing these? Well, because now parents and students are questioning the value of a college education. Is it worth it to go into all this debt to get a piece of paper? You have companies like Google and IBM that have actually done away with certain degree requirements for positions. So there is pressure on the higher education system that it either has to reform, get back to its roots of creating people that are productive within society and teaching them how to think critically, or it could continue with the self-inflicted wounds and sooner or later mark itself towards irrelevancy. Alumni can hold back funding. A lot of these colleges, they rely on donations from alumni and corporations. Well, if the 
college is going full woke, if they're pushing all these requirements for diversity, equity, inclusion, and social justice, don't contribute and, and let them know that the reason you're not contributing is because of those requirements. You can force their change because sooner or later, people in higher education do wake up and realize that they'll be going into irrelevancy if they continue down this path. Those are great ideas. Uh, okay, Professor Nicholas Giordano, where can people find your stuff? They could go to campusreform.org or pasreport.com. Okay, campusreform.org or pasreport.com. Correct. All right, Professor Nicholas Giordano, you have some lucky students. I'd like to be in your class. I really, You'd I would have like a good to, time. My classes uh, are fun. I'm not going to lie. I'm sure I would. But thank you for all that you do for, for the future of our country. Thank, thank you. you for having me. I appreciate it. This is Sandy Rios 24-7 on American Family Radio. All right, Sandy Rios, back with you on Sandy Rios 24-7. And I want to remind you, uh, you can call us at 662-821-2040 if you'd like to leave a message or ask a question, or you can reach us at sandy at afr.net. Or you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Getter, Truth Social, and YouTube. Uh, and we're on all the podcast platforms, so we're easy to find. AFR.net is home base, uh, but Apple, Spotify, and all the rest of them, are uh, we're available there. So um, also, let me just thank Preborn again for being our sponsor. I so appreciate that, and also I'm proud to have them be our sponsor because of the great work that they do. You know that they're in the business of providing ultrasounds for women who find themselves in inconvenient pregnancies. And you probably by now know that it's $28 to pay for one of these ultrasounds. Uh, and that's just one. You can, source, of course, be generous or give the amount of money that you're comfortable with, and they'll use it accordingly. All you have to do is go to preborn.com slash Sandy. That's preborn.com slash Sandy. And by the way, if you have the means, if you are especially blessed financially right now, would you consider a leadership gift of donating one machine? These life-saving machines cost $15,000 more than most centers, pregnancy centers, that is, can afford. Your tax-deductible donation will save countless lives for years to come. So get involved today. Go to preborn.com slash Sandy, preborn.com slash Sandy. I just thought that was an absolutely delightful interview with Dr. Giordano. I'd like to stay in touch with him. Bruce, wouldn't you have loved... Did you ever have a professor like him that was so animated and such a great teacher and such a challenge to you? Yes, it's amazing the way, no matter how old you get, there are certain teachers that stand out in your mind. And uh, I always say, think about the, the impact educators have on you as, as a young person because how many people do you remember from your childhood? You remember your teachers, mm -hmm. the it's ones true. that impacted your life. Yeah, it's true. I had some really great teachers. It's funny. Um, I had some that really, uh, I, I, from my perspective, were not very fair to me, um, but they taught me. I, like I think of one of my uh, algebra teacher who didn't like me, so I made an a straight A's and he gave me a C. Uh, and so that was a pretty tough swallow, mm -hmm. but he made me work so hard. I'm telling you, I worked for him so hard, and he was a great teacher, even if he didn't like me. And so that's okay. Well, there's another thing that we have in common that I never knew before, and that's that we both 
had algebra teachers that did not like us. Mine was <laughs> mine was very justified in not liking. That's why me. our marriage is so successful, <laughs> honey. I'm sure of it. <laughs> I always want to buy that T-shirt that says, "Well, another day without using algebra." <laughs> but <laughs> well, the thing of it is, here's Dick, Dr. Giordano thriving in New York City. Uh, with these students who come to him with such limited learning. And it was pretty shocking, their ignorance, right? It is shocking. I mean, that people don't know who George Washington is. I mean, that is astounding. But they can tell you about the cat that plays ping pong on TikTok. That's where we've gotten, unfortunately. And to try, you know... I, I watch young people, and I love young people, but, you know, you, you watch so many of them, and it's like they're in a trance. They're walking around hypnotized by their phones. They don't look up. When they finally do look up, you look in their eyes, and a lot of times they just have a faraway look. They're not there. Like, or you I make a joke and they don't get it. They because, don't get it. But be, something on the phone is hilarious, yes. like the cat videos, yeah. Yeah, and, and they're, oh. just, they're just enslaved to their phones. But here's Dr. Giordano, he talks about those kids, and he's teaching them. He makes them put their phones down, and he really teaches them. And he said that they actually get interested, that when they hear the history of this country, it's government, when he lays it all out for them, they're actually excited. So I'm excited that there's a man like that uh, in the state of New York, in a university there, doing such a wonderful job, because it's one life at a time anyway, isn't it? It is. And, you know, really, a lot of the blame goes to us as adults and parents because we, in many cases, have allowed the phone to become our babysitter, um, our educator. Um, and, I, look, I'm not absolving kids of, of the responsibility that they need to take to, to learn, but this is not going to fix itself by the kids... Um, suddenly waking up and going, I don't like the phone. It's on us as adults, as educators, Mm -hmm. to get these kids involved, to get their nose out of the phone. Mm -hmm. Um, We struggle with that with our grandchildren. Um, They're not too bad, but they love the phone. And it's up to us. And you know what? It's easy just to say, oh, they're happy. Just let them go. And I've done that. But really, you need to say to your children, especially young, because once they get into teenage years and, and college years, it's much more difficult to, to impact someone. We need to start early. Yep. I can't believe how many parents are buying their kids' phones so young. I, I don't understand that. I have to say, in defense of my son and his wife, they don't, they, our kids don't have phones. They, they were no. playing with your phone, yes. and it was That's fascinating. I'm, yeah. I'm, so I'm saying it was my fault. It wasn't their parents' fault. It was my fault that I let them have my phone. Uh, but you see how magne- magnetic and hypnotizing it. They're making phones for ba- People are letting babies play with phones. I don't know what they think is going to happen. Uh, they know if they're paying any attention, we can see now the, what the result is. We have created a generation of kids who are I'll have become less, less, uh, boy, this sounds so harsh, less human. But I, I have to say when, when kids actually do look you in the eye and when they can engage, uh, I always think, well, now that's great parenting or that's a homeschooled kid because they still are. There's many kids who are still that way. As you and I both know, we engage them all the time. And by the way, could I just say, I, this is a tip that's going to come off my lips uh, at the last minute here. 
Bruce and I kind of make a habit when we are eating out. There's a lot of young kids that work in restaurants, waiters and waiters. We always we always engage them. Where are you from? What are you doing? And some of them are kind of cold and distant, that same thing we mentioned, like they're kind of angry or they have no, they don't want to look at you, but you can pretty much, you can extend yourself. And I find they really do, for the most part, respond, don't they? I think uh, there is a huge thirst. They may never admit to this, but I think among young spe- young people, there is an incredible thirst to have role models that are respectable, parents that lead them, uh, educators that educate them. Um, it, you know, as a human being, God created us to interact with people. He did not necessarily create us to interact with a machine. And so many of these kids, really, they've spent their life engaging with a device, a TV, a phone, an iPad, and, you know, I've been in Chili's restaurants where they have a screen on the table to place your order, but it can also be used to, um, to entertain, en- your kids. entertain your kids. And you'll see the parents are sitting on one side of the booth looking at their phone. The kids are looking at the screen on the table, and they'll go a whole hour and not even talk to each other. Yes. So back to the restaurant thing, because it's a simple thing, but you can show kids that human touch, that human connection uh, by example. And I think that's a small thing, but it's something that can, it really can have an effect. So uh, just to encourage all of you to do that. Well, all right. But meanwhile, thank you, Lord, for professors like Dr. Nicholas Giordano. And uh, Bruce, thanks for joining me on this conversation. Thank you. My pleasure. All right. This has been, you know, an episode of Sandy Rios 24-7.